church and so grateful for all of you who are joining us online today. It's great to see your faces. Uh, our mission here at Sycamore View is to help people see Jesus. Our vision is awakening. We want to keep our eyes open, the eyes of our hearts open to see what God is doing all around us. And we want to live in a way where we are helping to open up the eyes of the world. There are a lot of people sleeping in a world. We want to help open up their eyes to see how great Jesus is. So let's begin this morning with a quick game of would you rather. All right, just a few images that are going to come at you. Would you rather, let's just start with something easy, fries or ice cream? How many fries in the house if you could only have one? How many of you go for ice cream? All right, probably half and half. Here's the next one, all right? Would you rather, would you rather eat barbecue nachos, jalapenos on the side, or barbecue nachos on top of Flaming Hot Cheetos, which is served at Tops now? Would anybody here go for the Flaming Hot Cheetos? I'm just curious if you're, if you're willing, if, if you do, it is not an endorsement on my part today, all right? But if you like it, if you try it, let me know how it goes. Would you rather go on a... <laughs> A party bike. Now, we're in church this morning. This party bike has water, tea, and food, all right? So that kind of party bike. Or would you rather go on a sky dinner, which that is offered in places like Vegas, New York City, and Dubai? Anybody who would go for the sky dinner? This just sounds like fun. Our staff, our next staff retreat is going to be on a, a sky dinner. We're going to have a great time. All right, how many of you did not raise your hand for anything because you were taught not to raise your hand in a church, all right? Anybody? <laughs> which is the joke. I haven't used that in a few years. And Casey's like, you've got to retire that joke, all right? But I can. I love it, all right? And it's so true, especially in a Church of Christ context, all right? Now, here's the next one. I'm not asking for you to raise a hand on this one, but would you rather rejoice with those who rejoice or mourn with those who mourn? Because most of us, would much rather do one over the other, right? Like, I, I think if there was a, hey, here's a fellowship gathering, and at this fellowship gathering, we're going to be rejoicing, or here's a fellowship gathering, and at this fellowship gathering, there's going to be a lot of grief and pain, and we're going to talk about it. Like, which one would you rather do? And for Paul, in Romans chapter 12, he holds these together. Like, this is what the church does. The church comes together, and we rejoice with those who are in the process of rejoicing, and we mourn with those who are in the process of mourning. Like, if you're mourning, you should know other people are going to come to mourn with you. And if you have things in your life that you need to rejoice about, you shouldn't be afraid to do it. Like, you should know other people are going to come along to rejoice with you. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And before we get there, as you are getting there, let me just remind you, next Sunday, August 28th, we do have a baptism Sunday. We've done these now for the past probably four years. And, and the reason we do this is some people just need, maybe you need a prompting. Maybe you need a time of preparation. We will baptize people, and we have baptized people here. Any day of the week, it doesn't matter. If you want to be baptized and immersed, go for it. But sometimes what we've done is we've circled a date on a calendar, and we've given people like just some promptings, an invitation. Maybe you need a time of preparation. Because for some people, the Spirit of God moves in your life, and decisions come quick. And for some of you, it takes a little time for you to make decisions. So if this is something for you... If if you sense God inviting you into the waters of baptism, talk to me. Talk to one of our leaders. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to a, talk to a friend who, who you know is connected to Jesus. And next Sunday, if you would like to be baptized, let's do it. I, baptisms count. Whether you're in a river, a lake, at, at, a, at a pool, it doesn't matter. But there is something powerful about public witness in a worship service. So if this is for you, I ask for you to prayerfully consider that and let me know. We're in a series right now called Lean In. We're talking about empathy, about connection. 
how God leans into us, how we lean into each other. So we just lean. We, we, we want people to know that we are fully present with you. We're not crossing our arms and running away from people or away from problems. We're leaning into the world. We're leaning into each other for the sake of the gospel. Now, before we get to Romans 12, let me quickly summarize what has happened in the book of Romans. Romans 9 through 11, Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11 are three of the hardest chapters for some people to comprehend in the entire New Testament. I know preachers who have not preached through all of the book of Romans before because they aren't really sure what to do with Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's three chapters that are really difficult. It's about the, the will of God or free will or what is free will or you have a statement about all Israel will be saved. So who is all Israel? It's just the people who are in the land of Israel or does Paul broaden what it means to be a part of Israel. So chapter 9 through 11 is difficult, and we come to Scripture, and we want to comprehend, right? We want to understand. And in chapter 9, 10, and 11, there's some, there's some theology that Paul does, and Kip read this earlier, but here's how it ends. Those three chapters that are really difficult, where Paul goes super deep, it ends with this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's almost like Paul is acknowledging like there may be some things that are really hard for you to comprehend. Like you got to work really hard at it. Like there's some things about God that you, you're never going to give. But even in this, the church is going to say, we're going to praise you anyway. Like we're going to stay close to you, God, anyway. It's Romans 9 through 11. That happens. Now, before I touch a little bit on Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 13 gets into politics, and we all like talking about politics, right? And I don't think they would have used the word politics, but it's about like your relationship with the government, your relationship with authorities, and then about division. So there's some really hard stuff in Romans chapter 13 and 14. And in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, what Paul says is this, "...let everyone be subject to the governing authorities." For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever re rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And he keeps building on that. And think about it. Paul's writing to a bunch of people who were living in the Roman Empire, most likely right in the time when Emperor Nero is the one who is reigning over the empire. And Paul says something like this. Like Paul's trying to tell people, like there are some things in the world that you shouldn't spend all your time on trying to change. What we are doing is we are pursuing God together. So in Romans chapter 9 through 11, it can be really hard to comprehend. Romans chapter 13, it's really difficult as Paul's challenging people. This should be how you interact with all of the authorities of the world. And then he talks about division and those who are strong and those who are weak in Romans 14. And in Romans chapter 12, it is about ethics. It's about how we behave. So kind of sandwiched in between this hard arguments, deep arguments about God, and sandwiched in, in between how we interact with, with the ways of the world in Romans 12 is like, here's some ethics. Like, here is how we behave, no matter what. And Paul does it in three little short teachings. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it, he says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Even the will that sometimes it's hard for you to figure out what God's will is, this is how we become living sacrifices in the world. And then Paul talks about what it means to uh, urge one another on with the gifts that God has given us. And then in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, 13 verses, in 13 verses, Paul gives 27 commands in 13 verses. And I don't think this was Paul, like, placing a burden on people. Like, on top of the Ten Commandments here, you got 27 commands. I don't think that's it. I think this is Paul just reminding people, those of us who are choosing to pursue Christ with our lives, this is what we're doing. We are pursuing Jesus. We want to know Jesus better. Like, here are some things that just should just flow from your life. This is how we encourage one another on. And I'm going to go through all 27, and I'm going to do it in bullet point form, all right? So it's not going to be so much narrative that you see on the screen. It's going to be bullet point. And as you read these, you're going to see a few of them, and you're going to be like, yeah, that's good. Like, I think I'd do that in my life. And then there are going to be times where, I don't know for you, like if Scripture ever, like, slaps you in the face or, like, you know, taps you in the arm. There are going to be a few of them that's going to kind of punch you a little bit. Like, oh man, that, that's really challenging. That may be hard. So just let Scripture have its way with you today. Here are 27 commands Paul gives in 13 verses. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never lack zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. 27 commands in 13 verses. And kind of right in the middle is this phrase, this verse I want to talk about this morning. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Six months after my sister died in 2010, I was invited to be a keynote speaker at uh, Abilene Christian University's lectureship. It's called ACU Summit now. And they gave me a topic on faith and suffering. And the format of the day went like this. In that worship service, we were going to be in an arena. A few thousand people were going to be present. Probably half of them college students. And we were going to sing a few songs. And then they gave me 20 to 25 minutes for my my content to like preach the sermon. And then when I preach, I was going to go over to the side where I would sit with the director of the event. We would sit down in chairs. We would have a little Q&A. And then they would open up it up for anyone in the room to text in questions to me that then we would talk about. Now, I don't mind creating content. 
But after you've preached content and you go and you sit down and you don't know what questions are going to come at you, like I don't think I'm the best in those situations. I don't know how you would do. So I preach the sermon and I go and I sit down and we talk for a moment and then we open it up to questions and questions started to come in. And the very first question was from a college student in the room who texted in the question, does God cry? That was her question. Does God cry? And I remember kind of leaning back in my chair because I thought it was a great question. Does God cry? And my response was, when the people of God and when people experience deep forms of brokenness, I think tears fall from heaven. Like I do. Now, I know we grew up singing a song. Some of us did. No tears in heaven, right? There are no tears in heaven, which comes from Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. It actually comes from the second part of Revelation 21, verse 4. Because of Revelation 21, verse 4 begins by saying this, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So the same verse that tells you there'll be no tears in heaven tells you that God will wipe the, fa the tears from faces in heaven. So we serve this tear-wiping God, and we know that in heaven, there's not going to be forms of brokenness that are going to send us into deep forms of grief again. But the same verse that tells us there'll be no tears there also tells us that God is going to wipe tears there. And if Jesus is the one who teaches us what God is like, Jesus was full of emotions. In John chapter 11, verse 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. And he wept just a few verses before he's going to raise somebody to life. Jesus was about to raise someone from the dead. He knew he was going to do it, yet he wept with those who were weeping anyway. He stepped into their brokenness. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. It's the same weeping you read about in Romans 12, verse 12. It's like a sob that happens in Luke 19, 41, which is also what Paul refers to in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. And what has become one of my favorite verses in Psalm chapter 56, verse 8, it says, You, God, have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your record? It's like God is saving those tears because... I don't know, maybe in the eyes of God, maybe they're precious. All right, so does God cry? I think tears can fall from the face of God. And I think maybe to broaden this a little bit this morning, like, does God have emotions? Because I, I think some of us, whether we were trained to or not, like, we just, in our minds, like, God doesn't have emotions. Maybe God occasionally gets angry. Maybe God rejoices when there is salvation. Like, I think we believe that. But, like, does God, does God have emotion? Does God laugh? Does God have facial expressions? Right? Does God cry? So in Romans 12, verse 12, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I think heaven would want us to know today that heaven's not afraid of your tears and heaven's not afraid of your emotions. The grace of God can hold all of our emotions together. And it's become something I tell people quite a bit. Because I think when a lot of us cry, especially in a setting with other people, we apologize for it. It's like, we cry, we apologize. I cry, I'm sorry, I'm crying. 
And what I've started to do when people cry around me is I, I, I try to gently just say, like, your tears right now, like you're crying, it, 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 doesn't, like, it doesn't scare me. Your tears, it, don't make, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Like, it's okay for us to be in this moment together. And I think maybe the reason we apologize for our tears is we just need to... I don't know how else to say it. Like, I think you're all a bunch of good-looking people, but nobody has a pretty cry. Like, I don't think you've ever seen somebody and you're like, man, I love the way they cry. Like, I want to cry the way they cry. That's a beautiful cry. Like, we don't, we don't pretty cry. And when we cry, there's snot that comes out of the nose. Our faces turn red. Like, I, like when you cry, it's, it's kind of like sleeping on an airplane. Nobody pretty sleeps on airplanes. Everybody ugly sleeps on planes. And maybe we would all sleep better if we just embraced it. And maybe we all would be better with emotions if we just acknowledged, like, when you cry, it may not be the prettiest thing in the world, and that's okay. We're going we're gonna to stay in this moment together. In Romans 12, verse, 12, verse 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. But I don't think this is like one size fits all. Like I don't think this is saying like anytime anybody rejoices about anything, you're, you need to rejoice with them. Or anytime anybody weeps over anything, you should mourn, you should mourn with them. Now, let's see how this plays out a little bit. Because today, August 21st, my youngest son, it's his birthday. He's 13 years old today. Right? And I think most of you would rejoice with our rejoicing of there being a birthday. And what his birthday also means is now Casey and I have two teenage boys in our house, which hopefully some of you will weep with Casey and I as we weep because now we got two of them, right? Today is also a day that celebrates the day my sister surround, surrendered herself to Jesus in baptism back in 1990. September 21st, or August 21st is also my parents' anniversary. Today is their 46th anniversary. And I know just in the room, I know the Spearses are here today. In just about a week or so, the Spearses will celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. I know the Fouries are here. I think you just celebrated your 60th anniversary. So we rejoice with those who rejoice. And I also know this past Friday, I spoke at a funeral for Leanne Alexander's mom, Laura Moore's grandmother, who her and her husband on September 4th would have celebrated their 69th wedding anniversary. And to see sweet Ray at his age so broken for losing the love of his life, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. And there have been a number of times I've stood on this stage and I've rejoiced about something either in my own life or in the life of this church, and we rejoice together. And I know there have been times I've mourned things in my own life from this stage, and you have mourned with me. And there are some things in my life that I'm going to rejoice about that some of you may not rejoice in, and you don't need to. And there are some things I'm going to mourn about in my life, and you may not mourn with me, and maybe you don't need to. I've been a Dallas Cowboys fan for 25 years we've been mourning, right? And cowboy fans mourn together, but those of you who aren't, you don't mourn with us. Some of you celebrate, <laughs> right? And some of you just don't care. But I think the kind of church God wants to continue to cultivate is when there is the family who are pregnant and having a baby, we will rejoice with those who rejoice. And when there's a family who can't, or there is a miscarriage, we mourn with those who mourn. 
That when there's that job promotion that you got, like it's okay for you to acknowledge it and for us to rejoice in it. And for those of you who've been demoted or maybe you've lost a job, we share it with the church and we mourn with those who mourn. That we want to rejoice with those who can say, I mean, my marriage has never been better and we rejoice with you. And to be a kind of church where people can say, I mean, my marriage is hanging on by a thread or it's over. And we mourn with those who mourn. Now, let's think about what this meant for the church Paul was writing to in Rome. We, we think this was a pretty big church. You just read Romans chapter 16 and all the people Paul's acknowledging in the church, like, I think Rome was made up of a number of Christians. And we know that in that church, you had Jews and you had Gentiles. And we know that Rome, in AD 49, Jews got kicked out of Rome. They got kicked out, removed from their houses, kicked out, and five years later, allowed back in. And I think when Paul wrote letters, Paul knew that those letters probably weren't going to be read on Thursday mornings by calling people together just to read a letter. I think Paul knew that in the worship service, when people came together on a Sunday, they were going to sing some songs, they're going to pray some prayers, they're going to take communion, there's going to be a lot of fellowship, and they would read his letters. And I think Paul knew that when people came into those homes that they were meeting in for church, that there would be people who were having the greatest week of their life and those who were having one of the worst week of their lives. There were those who socially were not feeling the pressure of what it meant to be a Christian in Rome and those who every day felt the pressure. Those who had been removed from Rome and now were trying to make Rome their home again and Gentiles who now were fairly new believers in Christ, like all in that experience together. And I think Paul wanted them to know when you come into a worship experience, we don't try to force people into one emotion. Like no matter where you are today, you just need to be happy. Or it's time for communion, so right now, no matter if you're sad or not in your life, get sad, like get sad right now. But like in all the emotions we have, we bring them into an experience and we trust that God's grace can hold them all. In this room today, and those of you online right now, some of you, you're coming off the greatest month, maybe the greatest year you've ever had. You're in a great place of joy and some of you are holding on by a thread. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. One of my good friends, Mike Cope, some of you who went to uh, Harding in Cersei years ago, you grew up under his preaching. And Mike tells the story in the early 90s, his, his daughter, was, she was dying in a hospital, and they knew it. And as they're in the hospital, knowing that their daughter, Megan, was soon going to breathe her last breath, one of their good friends, they were in the same hospital where they were having a child. So in that same hospital is a couple whose daughter's about to die and a family who's about to have a healthy baby in their home. And now imagine being friends of both of them, going to the hospital to see them, where you walk into one waiting room and there's a lot of grief. Like they know their daughter's about to die and then you walk, a, a, you take an elevator and you go a few floors and you go into another waiting room where there's a baby being born and there's great joy. And maybe in some kind of way. It's what it's like when the church gets together. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. There's a story about a hospital volunteer. It's called How Can I Help? It was written in, a, in an article not too long ago. And this person, here, here's what it says. My idea was simple. 
volunteer in wards with terminally ill children and burn victims. Just go in there and cheer them up. And gradually I developed a clown costume during visits. First a red rubber nose, then makeup, then a yellow, red, and green clown suit, and finally wingtip shoes, two and a half feet long, with green tips and heels, white in the middle. It's tricky going into cancer wards and burn units as a clown. Some kids are afraid of clowns and are already pretty shaky. Burnt skin and bald head on kids, what can you do? You face it. And when kids are hurting so bad, so afraid, and everybody's heart is breaking, you face it. You see what happens, you figure out what to do next, and I got the idea of traveling with popcorn. And when a kid is crying, I dab up the tears with popcorn, and I pop it into my mouth or into his or hers. And we sit around together, and we eat tears. Now, I don't know if he still does it since COVID, all right? I don't know. And you may hear the story and be like, I will never, ever do that, where I'm going to eat the tears of other people. But it is an image of somebody who said, there are people hurting, and I'm just going to be present in the moment. There are people hurting, and I'm going to step into this moment, and I'm not going to go anywhere. All right, so here's the thing. You got places all throughout the Bible where people acknowledge to God that they are crying and they are hurting and they ask, does God hear? Now you can find these places in the Psalms, you can find it in Habakkuk, you can find it in prophets, you find it in the life of Jesus. Where people are hurting, there is pain, they're crying out to God and they're asking God, like, do you even hear? And maybe what we're asking is, God, even if you do hear, do you care? And one of God's primary ways of answering that question is in and through the church, where we become that presence of God for each other. That we are that place. You got something you want to rejoice about, I want to high-five with you. And if you're mourning, and we believe heaven's also mourning right now, we're going to mourn with you too. So we want to have a few minutes where we just open up the place for us to do that this morning. I want to ask if our prayer leaders will go uh, this morning to your stations. I know Shelly Eaton's going to be over here to my left. Rachel Galbraith's going to be over here to my right. Patrick Parsons going to be up front. I believe Willie Thomas is going to be in the back, two of our elders. And here in the next couple minutes, I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to have time, or you can, uh, if you're a guest here, we go to tables to receive communion, the bread and the cup, and there's six tables around this room. And we're going to be in this moment for about six to seven minutes together. And for our prayer leaders here today, like we're around here just to receive you. Casey and I are going to be right up here to my immediate left just to receive you. If there's anything we can pray about, and maybe today what you do is you go to one of our prayer leaders because there's something you just need to acknowledge in the presence of God and with someone today. Like there is something worth rejoicing over. And in prayer, let us rejoice with you. And maybe today there's something you need to mourn over or you are mourning. Let us have a moment where we get to mourn with you. That's what these places are here for, to receive you and to pray. As we come to the table today, we bring all of our emotions to this table. And through God's grace, God holds us together through it all. So may the Spirit of God have his way with us over the next few minutes. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? And Jesus, we thank you 
that you always meet us at this table. You meet us here as a friend, as a companion, as a healer. You meet us here as the host. You meet us one who is fully present in the moment. So thank you for all the ways that you lean into us. And we pray today as we take the bread and the cup that we will both reflect on what you have done and that this bread and this cup will have healing power for us today. May it, may it tend to our hearts and nurture us. May it challenge us to be your people this week. And here in this room today, just over the next few minutes, we just pray, God, that this will be a moment, a time for you to touch down in our hearts and, and somehow, some way, God, that we'll rejoice with those who rejoice and we'll mourn with those who mourn. Through Christ we pray and the whole church said, Amen.